We are in a wonderful series this uh, spring and through the summer. We're looking at the uh, gospel according to Matthew, the tax collector, with the invitation that the angels gave to the women that first morning of the resurrection. As they came to the tomb and the stone was rolled away, they, they were invited to come and see, come and examine, come and know something that would radically change their lives in such a way that they were encouraged to go and tell others. And so we are sitting this morning once again at the feet of Jesus in the fifth chapter of the uh, gospel according to Matthew. Jesus is giving us direction. And as the compass gives us direction to where true north is, Jesus is giving the disciples direction into how to head and take others toward the kingdom of God. So we're, uh, we're in Jesus' longest sermon that's recorded, and so it's taking at least two weeks. Um, and uh, it starts out in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes, with the idea that whole or blessed, joyful, uh, happy is just a t- too... Um, too light a term for these. This is discovering the wholeness of God as we went through the Beatitudes. And we understood from last week that if you get the first one right, you get them all right. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we looked at that, what that meant. That means that come to Christ, blessed are those who recognize that they can't get to where Christ would have them get on their own. That we can't make it. We come humbly relying on the grace of God to get us where we need to go. And um, once you and I are at the point in our lives where we will live that out loud. (coughs) What I mean by that is... When we not only give a verbal, oh yeah, I can't do it on my own, I I need another. When we live that out loud, that we actually believe that we can't keep God's standard or our own standard. When we live that out loud, we live in humility, in the midst of God's grace, and we choose to then begin to live a kingdom way saying, Lord, I am here because of your grace. And if we live that way, actually live that way, we will begin to model out the kingdom of God. And uh, But modeling out the kingdom of God these days, as in all of history since the time of Christ, there are consequences if we choose to do that. In fact, the end of the Beatitudes, the kind of transitional last Beatitude, says this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad 
for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, this is not my world. This world operates according to a different kingdom other than the kingdom of God. If you choose to humble yourself and live under the gracious hand of God, the world will call you a peculiar person. Peculiar person. Uh, that's the King James Version from uh, a Hebrew text. You will be an oddity. You will be different if you live according to the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. And you will have an effect, though, on those around you. In other words, if you live the kingdom way, the humble, under God, gracious, banking on his love and mercy, if you live that way, you will make a difference in the world. And he begins to say what that difference is going to look like and how it will impact the world. Hear him continue in Matthew verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall salt, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Jesus is saying, if you live according to my direction, you will affect the world by the way you live. Simply by living in that gracious uh, humility to the kingdom of God, you will make a difference in the world. Before we go any further, join me in a prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we don't exactly get this. How do we live in such a way that others will be drawn to you? You promise it. Help us to see what that is like. And if there would be any way to, anything that hinder us seeing that today, I pray that you would remove it. For we've come to be taught by Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, to be more like Jesus. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that takes words that are written on a page and writes them on our hearts so that that would happen. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus is a master at word pictures. He wants us to understand that if we live a certain way, we will have a radical effect on those around us. First, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, 
I want to stop here because we miss something by just hearing you are the salt of the earth. He is not necessarily right now saying you and you and you and you and you are the salt of the earth. This is in the plural. If you were in the King James, it would be ye are the salt of the earth. If you were in the South, you would be, it would be y'all are the salt of the earth. And if you were a northerner trying to figure out what it was like in the South, somebody would say, all y'all are the salt of the earth. This is in the plural tense. He's teaching not to the crowds, as you might think in the Beatitude. He is teaching to the disciples. He's looking at them and saying, you all are the light of the world. Uh, you all are the salt of the earth. And uh, notice he didn't say, you are the pepper of the earth. And you will make everybody sneeze when they're around you. Notice he didn't say you are the paprika. Now, I don't know anything about paprika, although people put it on just to make it look a little better. So I, but he didn't say you're not there just to make people sneeze. You're not there just to make people uh, have a little better look. You are there as salt of the earth. Now, you and I don't think a lot about salt, except we see when it's on the road, we know that an ice storm is coming. It's so common, and it's on pretty much every table in, uh, in every restaurant, in every home. So it is, it is so common when somebody says, you are the salt of the earth, we're thinking, well, I mean, is that, it's just common. But back then, Salt was very valuable. In fact, it was so valuable, it was used for money. The Roman army, much of the time, was paid with salt. The word salary comes from the Latin word salarium, which is payment. And, and, and so it was of value. And we still have a sense of that because you might hear someone say that person is not worth their soul, which means that they're not worth what we're investing in them. Where it's not, they're not worth what we're paying them. Teddy Roosevelt said this, no man is worth his salt who is not ready at all times to risk his body, to risk his well-being, to risk his life in a great cause. You are not worth your salt. And so it is of value. The second is it's a preservative. Back in the time of Rome, there were no refrigerators. And so in order for meat not to spoil, for food not to spoil, it was packed in salt. It was so prized because it would help keep things from uh, being corrupted. G. Campbell Morgan, who is a uh, famous preacher, said this, Jesus, looking over the multitudes of his day, saw the corruption, the disintegration of life at every point, its breakup, its spoilation. And because of his love of the multitude, he knew the thing they need that they needed most 
was the salt was the salt in order that the corruption should be arrested. My friends, I feel like I turn on the news, pick up a newspaper that that is so true for our culture today. We need something to stop the disintegration of everything that we have held on to and know to be true. I, I had a I, we don't have time to go into it, but even the, when the pilgrims came over in the ship, they were committed to, to, to build a nation that was under God, that, that would be morally uh, uh, right. And they were committed to that. And we've lived under that umbrella, not in a perfect way, but the idea that they were committed in their relationship to the kingdom of God and to God to live in such a way that would be biblical and scriptural and that they would not see the moral decay that they were leaving back in the old country. They were committed to that. Salt preserves. Also, we know that salt flavors. And, and you don't need a lot of salt to make a difference. It just, you just need a little. It, it, books have been written at the profound effect that Christianity has had on the world. It's, um, you know where it's had the most effect over history? On the value of human life. That's where Christianity has made the biggest impact. You, you see, in the Roman Empire, if you did not like your child, you could destroy your child. You could leave your child in the middle of the woods to die. If your child was ill, you could just put him out to die. There was no value to human life. And, and when the plagues came and when people dumped their sick children in the woods, it was Christians who would go out and, and, and bring those kids in and care for them. And one of the things that affected the Roman Empire the most is that girls were, were sent out. They were seen of little account. And families would adopt these girls, raise them in, in the Christian faith. And, and they would end up marrying other Roman men and influencing the entire empire because, because Christians lived differently. They understood the sanctity of every life. The Red Cross was started as a Christian organization. Almost every one of the 123 colleges and universities were started by Christians, by the church in the United States. Orphanages and adoption agencies and the treatment of folks who were cast away by society. Christianity, people who humbled themselves before God, infected a culture infected a world, and the world was different because of the gospel. And Jesus said, you all, all you all, all of us are the salt of, salt of the world. 
He didn't say we're the earth. He didn't say you might be the salt of the, of the earth. Uh, he didn't say you ought to be. Believe it or not, whether you like it or not, you and I together are the salt of the earth. Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, there are many of in, in here who have studied such thing, and you're saying salt can't lose its saltiness. It, it, it is a compound that can't lose its saltiness. So what is happening here that Jesus is talking about? Back then, when salt was mined, it was mined with other materials. And so when you bought salt, it wasn't 100% salt. It had a number of other things in it. And if it got wet, the saltiness would melt away and you were just left with the stuff that surrounded the salt. And they would say that salt had lost its saltiness. It was, the salt was corrupted by other elements. And so it made the salt unsalty. You don't have to think about that a lot to think, at least in my life. When I become unsalty, it's because I've allowed other ingredients to come alongside and for the salt to kind of disappear in the midst of the other ingredients, the other things that the culture offers. And the church becomes tasteless in some ways. And you're saying, Jerry, could that really be true? George Barna, who years ago, back in the, the uh, early 80s, I had an opportunity to meet. He was starting an organization that was going to to, to look and to guide the church and to understand the impact that the church would have on culture. He studies the church and trends, and here's what his research showed. The average Christian in the average church is almost indistinguishable from the rest of society. The fundamental moral and ethical difference that Christ can make in how we live is missing. So what, what is he saying? He's saying if you look at folks who call themselves Christians and go to church and those that don't, morally, there's not a lot of telltale differences. So if that is true, we have lost our flavor. We have lost our difference. We look like everyone else. And so we have to ask, I have to ask myself, what has crowded out the saltiness of my life? What other things have I allowed to come in that has corrupted the way that I will flavor 
the world. Now, it's not just George Barna, Josh McDowell, who, who's, uh, who wrote evidence that demands a verdict long time ago when back in the early 60s, early 70s, late 60s, and, and a, a defense of Christianity, he now has gone and he studied uh, high school kids. And he said, high school folks who call themselves Christians and those who do not, there is little difference in how they live their lives in the ordinariness of life. We've lost our flavoring. How does that happen? I, how does it happen in me? How does that happen to the church? We've become deluded by what the world has to offer. Now know this, we're still salty. But here's the, the problem. Sometimes a picture of the church is this. We're warehoused in these four walls. And, and we flavor inside the four walls. But some of us may not. Becky Pippert, years ago, wrote a book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. And she was saying, so many of us, this is our faith, but we never, we never disperse it. And so it doesn't flavor much. We stay in the warehouse. We stay in the salt shaker. What would it be like if, if this represented the way that I lived my faith in the world? How empty would this be next Sunday? Or would it still be the same, but look nice on my shelf? Every time I have uh, been a part of an ordination service, I have given the person salt. I have said, you have a task to flavor the world. But it is also true for each of us in here. And, and the thing about salt is you don't need to see it for it to work, right? Just salt is salt by being salt. And wherever it goes, it flavors. It's, it's kind of a, a fifth column. It's, it's there and you can't see it. And you all are affecting the world as you live your faith. Jesus is saying, you are salt. Not you ought to be, but you are flavoring the world without it being seen. But where salt is hidden, Jesus said, we also have a witness that people will see, and it's called light. In Matthew 5, 14, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. You, you can't hide that light unless you put it under a basket. A city on a hill cannot 
be hidden. Neither do people put a light and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's, it's not a mistake that the first thing that's in, created is light because all there was was darkness. And the one thing that takes darkness away is light. And so God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the darkness began to disappear because light makes a difference. It dispels the darkness. It's more powerful than the darkness. It illuminates. It shows what is real. It communicates and it warns. I love the story and I shared this many years ago of a man whose job it was. You see, there was a bridge that was out on the railroad tracks and they got a, a, a conductor there to, get a, to have his light and to stand and to stop the train, to wave the light, to, to stop the train. And they put him out there and the train didn't stop. And it went over the bridge and crashed. And the guy was put on trial because it was his job to stop the train. So the judge asked him, were you on duty the night the train had the accident? And the man replied, yes, sir. And the judge asked him, did you have your lamp with you? And the man replied, yes, sir. And the judge asked the last question, did you wave your lamp to the train? And the man replied, yes, sir. So the man was not held responsible. And later he went home, and it was later he told his friend, I'm glad the judge didn't ask me if my lamp was on. Yeah, I had my light. My lantern, I, I waved the lantern. I was in the right position to make a difference. Is our light on? Does our light show up enough to show truth? To, to show danger that lies ahead? You know, we have two sources of light in our world. The sun and the moon. One is light itself, the sun. The moon is not light, but reflects the light. And when the moon comes to the sun, close to the sun, it's brightest. And it lights up the night. When Jesus says, you and I are the light of the world, it's not that we are the light of the world. It's that we are reflecting the light of Christ. And the only way that our light will reflect the light of Christ is if we draw close. We draw close through his word and through praying, by spending time with others of the faith. Jesus did not say, live your life so people will see your good deeds and pat you on the back. He said, live your life so people will see your good deeds and say, Praise God. Praise your Father in heaven. 
A lamp doesn't, doesn't call attention to itself. A lamp gives light so that others may see. And that's our job. So what is Jesus is saying as we close this? He is saying that this world has no flavor and it's corrupted. And so he's put us together. All y'all are the salt of the earth. You will bring flavor. All you all, how we live together, how we live our lives are the light of the world because the world by itself is a dark place and seems to be getting darker day after day after day. So how do we live? We live subtly, flavoring the world with our faith. And the closer that we get to God through his word, the brighter we will shine in a world that is dark. Come and see so that you might go and tell. You think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, it is quite a task that you have given us to flavor the world, to bring light to dark places. We can't do that on our own, and so may we draw close. Draw us close so we might shine your light, reflect your light, and people would know the truth, and the truth would set them free. And as we leave this place, may we not store our salt here. May we spread it wherever we go. May we flavor this world that has lost its taste and is corrupted by so much. May we flavor it with the kingdom of God. I thank you for this church. I thank you for its faithfulness to your word, for the way it has been a light in my life and flavored my world. May we do the same to the world outside these doors. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.